Good morning. Hey, welcome to Marine Creek. Uh, uh, we're going to do something a little different today, um, but uh, before we get into that, if this is your first time, we're glad you're here. If you'll just fill out one of those guest cards, we'll get some information to you. Um, and then a couple quick announcements that are going on here at the creek. Uh, coming up next uh, Saturday or next Sunday is going to be our baptism service. So if you have not signed up for that and would like to sign up for that, then uh, you can do that in the, the foyer, what we'll call it today, at the welcome table. And uh, we'll get in touch with you this week. And uh, we're going to do that here after each service. And uh, also we met this week and there's going to be some new community groups starting in the fall, September. So if you have an idea or ha- would like to lead a group, then let Joseph Real know and he'll get, uh, he'll get you rocking and rolling on that. And uh, school supplies is rocking. I mean, everything's just good. I'm just excited about, about things that are going on in the life of the church. And I'm, I'm excited that you're here and I'm excited that we get to, to do this together and uh, so you can check the website for updates. We do the weekly email. If, we don't, uh, if you don't get that email, let me know, and uh, we'll get you on that list. So we try to keep you up to date as much as possible about what's going on. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, and we had some fun stuff going on on Facebook this week with food. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew 26, and uh, before we dive into this, I just want to just stop and pray, and uh, we'll get into this. So Father, thank you so much for this time to gather today. Thank you for uh, the truth of your word. Thank you for, uh, for Jesus, the whole reason we can come here today and, uh, and worship and celebrate and to leave here with not just head knowledge about the word of God, but leave here transformed by what you are doing through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We love you so much. Open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts today. We love you so much. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't, today is not going to be a day, and, and you won't hear me say sit back, relax, and enjoy the service. I don't think that's a healthy way to attend church. I want you to fully engage. And so you have some items in your possession that you got this morning coming in, and we're going we're gonna to go through that. And uh, I, this was, I just want to say before we get into that, several of you helped me out on this, this uh, a project this week. And so I want to say thank you for running around, working late, filling cups and putting everything together. And uh, I'm excited and I appreciate you putting that effort into it. Our whole goal with everything we're doing this morning is to make Jesus absolutely clear. I know I've been a part of a traditional Seder dinner. Um, This is not going to be a traditional Seder dinner. My hope is to, to show you some of the elements that are involved with this so we bring some understanding. Uh, I really do not want to disrespect the, uh, the Jewish uh, culture in any way, shape, or form with what we do today. What I want to do is to bring clarity to Jesus and for us to leave transformed by a collision that we have with Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, go to Matthew 26. And uh, your note sheets, there's no fill-ins because I really want you to be fully engaged. I've got the other things that are filling up your hands. But on your note sheets are actually uh, descriptions and things that we're going to be talking through. So you have this to put in. I don't know if you keep your note sheets in books or, or if, you just, if, you're, if you're sliding them in your Bible. Your Bible's probably about the size of the old school family Bible by now because um, uh, that can start to pile up. And uh, you probably have hefty forearms too. So you're like Popeye carrying this giant Bible. Um, But Matthew 26 is where we're going to be. We're teaching through really the events leading up to the cross. And Jesus goes through several things uh, leading up to the cross. And 
this week we want to kind of take a, take a break from the suffering that we started uh, talking about last week. Last week we talked about him suffering betrayal on this road to the cross. Today I want to step out of that a little bit, still in Matthew 26, but talk about the Passover meal that he was, he was uh, partaking in and how he transformed this and gave a new meaning into the communion or the Last Supper or the Eucharist that you may hear uh, kind of in, in Christendom or in, in churches today. So we're going to kind of connect some dots with that. I did a little Facebook poll and just said, share with me some memories you have around food. And I love this. I love food. Um, some of my best memories, greatest memories are around food. This morning, I got some new memories around food and uh, I learned the difference between chile and salsa. Um, and so that's why I'm sweating. We've got the air going in the room. So I'm just, I'm just sweating from the heat of the, heat of the pepper, baby. Um, but I love eating, if you haven't noticed yet. I, I work hard to maintain this body. But a lot of our memories center around food. And this week, hearing your stories was, was amazing because you were sharing uh, how a food will bring back a memory of your childhood, you know, about great-grandfather making bacon or pancakes and, and how that takes you back or, or meatloaf and just all these things that center around food. For me, it's a garden-fresh tomato. If a, if a tomato comes out of the garden at the right time, I'm not talking about a mass productive garden that they put on a truck and ship 1,500 miles to the grocery store so that I can buy a hard tomato. I'm talking about that moment in time where that tomato, everything hits, man, and the, it's, it's perfectly ripe, and you, just, you can barely tug it, and it comes off of the vine. And you just give it a twist, and, that, and you take a bite into that, and it's juicy, and it's running down. And to me, that takes me back so far to my childhood. You know, I had the pleasure of growing up with a garden and been able to walk through the garden and pick the things that are, that are growing and, and really understand what a real vegetable tastes like. I had a friend who hated tomatoes and I contended with him that it's because he'd never had a real tomato. Um, if you have had that real, you know what I'm talking about. You know, or the, the Christmas morning meal, you know, and Heather, Heather and I, well, Heather has instituted some Christmas morning traditions with our family, with, with Estrada, and we just get, that's a tradition. So that brings back a memory. Jesus is really doing the same thing here. I love how God lines up our memories to be able to reflect back on significant events. And what we're going to talk about today is no different. Uh, Matthew is a Jew. He is writing the gospel of Matthew to the, to the Jewish people to say the Messiah that you've been waiting for is here. The king has come. And so when they read this account about the Passover meal, for, for them, their original audience, they understand exactly what's going on. They understand everything around the Passover meal, their traditions and everything that they have to be involved with, with the Passover meal. I think we today have gotten away from that. And so we just read that, that during Passover is when Jesus was crucified. And then we go from the Passover into communion. And I think we miss some of the memories and some of the significance of what God is doing in the life of, of the Jewish people and then what Jesus does in the life for us. And so this morning, we're going to reconnect that. And uh, Jesus is going to tie up 
uh, some very incredible things. Now, in your Bible, I told you to go to Matthew 26, and I'm sorry to make you do this, but we're going to talk about the Passover story for just a second here. I'm not going to go into the whole, whole detail of it. I've shared it with you over the last couple weeks in pieces, but the Passover story is God liberating his people from Egypt. If you have kids and you've seen the Prince of Egypt, that's the cartoon version. If you're like me growing up, that was your excuse to stay up late uh, with Moses and the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston on uh, one of the, the network uh, TV stations where in the spring they would show this and you would talk your parents into letting you stay up because it's for God, Mom. You know, come on. I mean, look, I mean, we go to church on Sunday, church on Sunday night, church on Wednesday night, but this is, we can, this is God on TV. I got the, I, it worked, hey? but um, the Passover story is, is God liberating his people under the oppression of the Egyptian rule, and, and we're going to go back to Exodus 12, and I'm going to read to you really the, what the, uh, the meaning of Passover and the ceremony around Passover means. Exodus 12, it's the second book in your Bible. Leading up to this, there's been 10 plagues. <laughs> There has been, uh, basically, I'm going to kind of go back and give you a short history here. Uh, Moses um, is in favor with the house of Pharaoh, kills an Egyptian man, runs to the desert, and he hides out, finds a new life in farming. One day he's walking along, he sees something on fire, goes over, checks it out. This bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. All of a sudden, God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. I, I probably would have had to change more than my sandals after that moment. I'm, I'm just saying. And so God says, you are going to be the one to lead my people out of oppression. You are going to go back and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so Moses argues with God. God wins the argument. And he goes back and, and goes through this process of trying to liberate the people from Egypt with God's help. God sends plagues. There's 10 plagues. Um, that I think, I didn't list them in your notes, but the first one was when the river Nile and all the water turned to blood. Um, that didn't get their attention. Uh, then there was a plague of frogs, a plague of gnats, a plague of flies, a plague where the livestock uh, dies. Um, there was a plague of boils, a plague of hail, locusts, and darkness. Now, all of these plagues, if they don't get your attention, you know, you really kind of think, what will? And the 10th plague is the plague of the firstborn. And this is where Passover comes into play. And God tells Moses to tell the people to kill a lamb, a Passover lamb, which must be selected. Let me read it to you in chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having, having taken into account the number of people there are, you are determined the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. 
Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. What God is doing here is he's giving them instructions. He says, this is going to get their attention. And you are going to have a meal to celebrate this night. This night that I'm going to liberate my people from oppression. And he tells that gives them instructions on this meal so that it can be a remembrance. But also, he said, you're going to, you're going to be on the run tomorrow. Because Pharaoh is going to be so stricken that it's time to go. There's a couple things to understand about the Passover story is that as they selected the lamb and they placed that blood on the doorframe, it wasn't whether the people in the house were good or bad. God says, when I see the blood of that lamb, of that Passover lamb, that sacrificial lamb, that lamb without defect, I will pass over that because I will consider them safe. I will consider them mine, my people. And so this begins this the, the process of Passover. And then the Israelites end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. But they are told that you will keep this as tradition. You will keep this in memory. You will have this meal, the Passover meal, every year. And you will do this as a remembrance of where you came from, of what was going on, of the oppressive rule that was going on under the Egyptians. And from that night, the first Passover to today it is still celebrated and it is remembered and it is honored because of the oppression that god brought freedom through and so with that background let's get into this preparation of the meal go back over here to uh, matthew 26 we're going to be back and forth to exodus and matthew 26 here so matthew 26 i'm going to go to verse 17 on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the which is Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Because even to this point, it is still celebrated. And Jesus said, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. The, the, the preparation for Passover was a very involved process. Um, there, there is, uh, it's not just like Christmas dinner where you have to make the arrangements. There's an involved process. I, I, I consulted with a great friend of mine um, who grew up uh, in a Jewish household and in, in, a Jew, in full Jewish customs and has converted to Christianity but was able to explain to me some of the, the process involved with with passover and preparing for passover and and a lot of times there would be there would be fun games about it um in, in exodus 12 5 uh, let me read this to you it says um do i have that right um all of all of the yeast has to be removed from the house. that's not 12 5 but all of the yeast has to be removed from the house the reason they ate bread without yeast in it was so uh, there was no time for the bread to rise it had to be a quickly moving process you know I don't know if you've ever been around bread being made, but that waiting for it to rise 
and you have to be quiet, you know? I don't understand that, but you have to be quiet because it'll fall. I guess it's sensitive. Um, it'll get its feelings hurt, you know? It lacks the motivation, as Dan says. So the unleavened bread, think about it. They could keep moving. They didn't have to stop and take the time. Uh, they had to prepare an unblemished lamb uh, five days before. If you go back to Matthew 21, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the day that a lamb would be selected. When you think about cleaning out the house, and my, my friend uh, explained to me that they would do a game uh, with this process where they would take a candle and a feather and go through and clean the house looking for yeast. You know, they're cleaning out the house uh, and yeast is a representative symbol of sin, that Jesus comes in and clears the temple. And he cleans his house, and he says, I'm tired of the mess that's going on in this house. And 21 through 25, if you remember, he's cleaning out all the junk. And then in 26, he says, I'm here, and I'm going to be the solution. I am this lamb. I am going to be the one that is going to, to take the place of your sins. In verse 20, Matthew 26, 20, it says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he began to speak to them. The reason that they would recline, and I'm not reclining today because uh, it's, it's kind of comfortable in here to me now, and, and so I'm not going to recline. You wouldn't be able to see me, and you don't want to see all this trying to get up off of a bag. But, um, <laughs> but the reason they would recline is to symbolize the freedom because slaves weren't allowed to eat sitting down and they would recline at the table to show that, that we are free, that we are free from the oppression of the Egyptians. And Jesus is, is reclining with them and he's partaking in this meal because Jesus is Jewish. We, I think we sometimes forget that in the church. I think we like to make Jesus this nice American guy, you know? And, uh, you know, this isn't, eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus in a golden fleece diaper. This is, this is Jesus, okay? And so he's reclining with his disciples and uh, they begin this Passover meal. And if you think about it, is Jesus is reclining as a symbol of freedom. In John 8, 36, Jesus is who came to set us free. And there's some connections that are gonna start lining up here that as you see Jesus being the Passover lamb, um, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians, we're told that, that Jesus is our Passover Lamb. And so we start to see some things where from the beginning, when, when the story takes the, the people into Egypt and begins to place them under the Egyptian rule and oppression, even then God has a plan for redemption. And God enacts his plan through Moses. What's even beautiful to see is that from the foundation of the world, even before God liberated the Jewish nation from Israel or from Egypt, he had a plan of redemption for mankind. That Jesus would be that lamb slain, and it was determined at the foundation of the world that Jesus will be the sacrificial lamb to free us from the oppression and free us from the sin and the bondage that so tangles us and weighs us down. And so Jesus begins to, they begin to have this meal and, the, and the, everything's kind of kicking off here. Um, in, in, the, in the ceremony, God commanded Moses and Aaron to wash their hands. If you, if you go over and read the account in John 13, Jesus gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. That Jesus 
is not only here to take the sin of the world away, but he came to serve. And he is on his hands and knees, washing the disciples' feet. Such an act of humility. And he tells Peter, he says, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part of me. I mean, Peter's sitting there, and he's like, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. You're, you're my Lord and my God. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, Simon, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And he says, Lord, then not just my feet, but my head and my body also. Cover me. And we get into this meal, and, and you have some elements here that we're going to talk through. So if you want to open your bag and grab uh, your elements, um, again, I uh, just want you to be able to sample what some of these are. And this is, and they've been refrigerated, so no worries. They've been sitting in my car since last night. <laughs> what? It was nice and cool. It was only 80. <laughs> that egg's going to take care of you a little bit later. The first thing I want you to, to grab is, is the, uh, the bitter herbs are what they're called. And it's the horseradish. It's the, I don't have a, a cup. I have, I have a, my, my friend let me borrow her Seder plate. And it has uh, a place for each uh, item on it. And the bitter herbs is the horseradish. It's the white creamy looking stuff. I will tell you that is spicy. So you don't want to just turn the cup up and have at it, okay? Um, if, if you're into some spicy stuff, I can hook you up, Okay. Bobby, Bobby opened my eyes to culinary fire this morning. And so I can, I can help you there. I can, I can help a brother out. But the, the bitter herbs, the horseradish, what this represents is how bitter and how hard life was for the Jews as slaves. When they, when they eat this, they are to remember how hard life was. They are to remember the oppression, the the just, I, I, I think a lot of us can have a hard day at work. I think we can have a hard week at work. But I, I think we don't understand the magnitude of day in, day out, generation after generation after generation of oppression, of, of being held down, of being manipulated, of being controlled, of being given no liberty. I don't think we can understand that in our context. I think we can read about it in history. I think we might be able to watch a movie and, and, and see somewhat of what it might look like, but we have no idea. And what Jesus is saying is, is as you leave Egypt, as you leave the, the, the oppression and the rule of the, the Pharaoh, I don't want you to forget this hard and bitter life. And, and what happens is as they gathered around the table in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples to share this meal, I think in, in Christian circles, we tend to close it down to where there's just bread and wine on the table and Jesus breaks the bread and drinks the wine. And I want us to understand and leave with an understanding that it is so much more than this. That when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's giving us new meaning to some elements of, of the Passover meal and bringing in the significance of his sacrifice. But he's also talking in the context of remembering what has happened. And as generations trans, transfer, 
and life goes on. You know, one generation knows how hard life is. I think of my grandfather and the World War II generation who, who after the war got in and they just did it, you know. There was no complaining. There was no whining. They rolled up their sleeves and they worked hard and built a country. And I think our generation, we understand how hard it is to be a nation at, at war and we understand the financial difficulties that we realize today, but I don't think we can understand how hard life was for them. And, and it slowly goes on and on and on. You know, and when I talk to my kids, I'm like, kid, you don't understand. You got it easy. I had to walk to school uphill both ways, barefoot, in the snow. And that was before they had those nice fancy binders. I had the spiral-bound notebook that I had to kill a bear with one day, kid. You don't understand. <laughs> and then our kids are like, yeah, whatever. And then they're going to, my kids, I will get to hear it. I hope I'm alive to hear my daughters say to their kids, you don't have any idea how hard life is. I mean... <laughs> There was no smartphones in my day. Internet was just dial-up. I mean, come on. So I think generationally we tend to forget. And what God is doing, he's being very strategic and centering memories around food so that they don't forget. So that as the story is passed down, because God commanded Moses, he said, you will tell this story to generations. You teach your kids what this means so that they don't forget. And so those bitter herbs are so we don't forget. Then you have a, a cup in there. It's parsley. It's called carpus. And what would happen during the meal is uh, the head of the table, which Jesus would have been at the head of the table. And throughout this meal, it was customary for the youngest to ask questions. Um, for example, Father on... On this night, why do we eat only these herbs dipped in vinegar once when we can normally can dip our herbs as often as we want? And the father would answer and he would give, uh, give them the correct answer. And so this is to symbolize, this is the, to represent the hyssop that the Israelites used to spread the lamb's blood on the doorpost. What they would do is they, they took this hyssop and they, they dipped it in the blood of the lamb that had been sacrificed and put it on the doorpost. And, and to the dipping of vinegar or salt water is customary, represents the tears and the pain. Um, and the sadness that, that reminds the Jews when they remember that they were safe. Uh, if you think about hyssop, it's a plant that was used with Jesus on the cross when he said, I thirst. Um, they dipped a hyssop in vinegar and raised it up to the cross for Jesus to drink. So think about it as Jesus is having this meal and they're going through and they're dipping the herbs and the disciples that are sitting there with Jesus, they remember this is what our, our ancestors used to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that they were saved, so that God recognized them as his people so that he could lead them out of oppression and Jesus is probably thinking, oh, you have no idea. And then as Jesus is hanging on the cross, when they dip the hyssop in vinegar and hand it up to him, and they say, this is what is used to put the blood of the lamb on the doorframe. Think about the fulfillment that may have been going through Jesus' mind. Everything that's going on 
you know, the, the worship that I told you he was anointed with, that perfume of worship, as he's smelling that, and then as he tastes that parsley and that vinegar. If you think about it, John says that Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with us from the beginning. So you think about that night of the first Passover meal, that Jesus is, is watching this, and now he is sitting with his disciples in the upper room, getting ready to go to the cross to bring this to fruition. You also have what's called uh, heraset. And I know my pronunciation is not as good. Um, my friend was coaching me on the, how to really get in there and ha, you know. And so I, I'm, my Hebrew is not as good as most, um, but that's okay. Um, this is a mixture of apples and honey. It kind of looks like the mortar. This kind of redeems the, uh, the uh, horseradish and the old bitter, bitter herbs. And for the uh, parsley with the vinegar, um, this is a mixture of apples, honey, nuts, and grape juice. And what it is, it looks like the mortar that the Israelites had to use to put the bricks together when they were under the, the rule of the Egyptian. And Pharaoh was having them build and build and build. And they were putting the mortar in the bricks. This is to symbolize that mortar and to remember the hard work that they put in. It's also sweet. It's got a sweetness about it to remind <clears throat> to remind them how sweet freedom is. I mean, I think we can understand that side of things in our society. Granted, we can complain about a lot of things, but we understand how sweet our freedom is. And God says, I do not want you to forget this. The egg was added later. And the egg represents new life. I'm hearing the pops of the top, you know. <laughs> Last night, you should have heard it in my kitchen. It's like snap, 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 snap. We had an assembly line. Thank you guys for all your help with that. Um, the egg represents new life. It was added, um, some think after the first century is what a lot of the records I read this week uh, point to and represents that new life. And then what you have is the uh, the lamb on, on the Seder plate that... that I have borrowed, there is a shank bone. And this, this bone represents the Passover offering, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed before God. What would happen is when the temple was around, the sacrifice would be made at the temple, and in around A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed. I'm laughing because I'm watching your faces. You know? And you're creating new memories around foods today. You're going you're gonna to look back and go, remember that day at the creek that Matt made us eat all this stuff? Yeah, we'll remember it. We're going to have great memories around this day. Um, but the Passover lamb would be selected, and then it would be sacrificed for the sins. Since the destruction of the temple, there's been no sacrifice. And the lamb bone is to represent the Passover offering you think about it, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. What I, what I want you to do is there is a piece of lamb in there. Go with it. Some of you are like, no, I'm not going to eat lamb. Try it. My wife cooked it. She can throw it down. She is like amazing. But the Passover lamb, 
This represented the sins of the world. On the first Passover night, they would sacrifice the lamb. They would put the blood on the doorframe. If you think about it, Christ is our Passover lamb. It is his blood shed on the cross. That although we don't have to put that over our doorframe, that blood covers us. That when we accept that sacrifice, that when we accept that atonement for our sin, that Jesus has died in our place. And that blood, it covers us as a people. And when God looks at us, he says, he's mine, or she's mine. And so Jesus understands the significance about what's going on. And as, he's, as they're going through the meal and there's the tradition going on, and, and, and the conversation is being had, and the memories, and, and I'm trying to get their minds around what the situation was really like and getting in that, and Jesus starts to, to move into a new meaning, understanding that he is our Passover lamb. He moves in to this new meaning, and I want to talk about the bread and the wine for a minute. On the, on the Passover table, there would, be, there would be a plate, and there would, be, there would be bread, unleavened bread. And what would happen during the meal is the father would op- open up and he would take out the middle piece of the bread, which is called um, the Afrikomen. It's the Greek word for that which is coming. And he would pull out the middle piece of the bread and he would break it and he would hide it in the house. And after the meal, the kids would go and find it and redeem it for a prize. And what I think is so significant about this is this bread... Um, and what it represents that when Jesus takes this bread and they understand the tradition that, that in the meal, the head of the table is going to take it out and he's going to break it. And he's going to explain the significance and what this means for, for us as a people. And here Jesus takes this bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And, and think about the disciples that may have been sitting at the table when, when he's, they hear Jesus make this comment, they're like, wait a second, he strayed from what we have heard all of our life. And everything that he said about being the Messiah and the Father sending him, and, and new meaning starts to come in. And when he says, this bread, this is my body which is broken for you. What I, what I find interesting about this matzah bread, this unleavened bread, what I find interesting is some of the things that it represent Jesus. Now, I, I have to understand that it probably was not made in the exact same way as would have been on the table with Jesus. But I, I do look that there is no, there's no yeast in it. There's no sin. Jesus was without sin. He was the perfect spotless lamb. You know, I, I see holes in this bread, that Jesus was pierced for us. I see that it is, there are stripes, and it's by his stripes we're healed. And then this bread is broken. And then if you think about it, during the traditional meal, it's hidden somewhere in the house for the kids to find it. Think about redemption. Have, have you ever stopped to think about what your life was before you found Christ? I mean, in reality, it's Christ who finds us. But you think about the redemption that comes when you connect with Christ. 
And Jesus is giving new meaning to his disciples. And he's saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he says, as often as you eat it, you do this in remembrance of me. Not of the oppression, but you do this in remembrance of me. And he passes the bread around. And then the wine. There would have been four cups of wine that would be had throughout the meal. And each wine, each cup of wine represents the I wills that Jesus, that God gives in Exodus. If you go back to Exodus chapter 6, God represents the four cups by this. The first cup is, is the cup of sanctification where God says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. I will free you from being slaves to them. The cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. The fourth one was the cup of praise. I will take you as my own people. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. The third cup is what is believed, the one that Jesus raised. And in Matthew 26, let me read it to you. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out on the Mount of Olives. What Jesus is doing is he's picking up the cup of redemption and he's saying, this is my blood. There was a covenant that God made with you to, to free you from the Egyptian rule, to bring you out from under oppression. And Jesus says, now I make a new covenant with you. And he says, the bread is my body, which is broken for you. This cup is the blood of the new covenant. And it is poured out for the remission of sins of many. The reason it's not all is because we have to accept that. We have to accept that sacrifice, that atonement. And what he's doing is he's, he's bringing this significance to a, to a meal of a memory around food. And he's saying, from now on, when you do this, whenever you eat, whenever you drink, remember me. Remember my covenant with you. Remember that I have come to set you free. I've come to give you life. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. My, my hope this morning is that we start to refocus some of our memories around food. My, my hope is that uh, you begin to reshape this question in your mind of what does communion mean for me? You see, because what we can see that Jesus is explaining to his disciples is what it means is I am taking the tradition, I'm taking the things for you to remember, and I'm now asking you to focus them on me. And to his disciples, this would have been revolutionary. To the original audience, revolutionary. Because he's asking you to change tradition and look to a Savior. And what Jesus is saying to us today is you have traditions, you have religions, you have everything you think you need, but I'm asking you to focus solely on me. To look to Jesus alone. Because he is the only one that can free us from the oppression that we're born into 
called the sin nature. He is the only one who can provide the sacrifice for our sins. I can't do that for you. I can't act on your behalf. All I can do is take you to Jesus and say, repent, tell him what's going on so he can take care of this. It's his blood that covers us. That cup of the new covenant, that when we put our faith, our hope, our trust, our life in that is when we truly find freedom and we truly find a life outside of the oppression of sinful nature. And so my hope this morning, and our ushers are going to get ready in just a minute, and we're going to take communion together. But my hope is that this morning, maybe a new memory for communion is going to start. And maybe that's for the first time in your life that you receive these elements with with Christ at the center of your life. Or maybe it rekindles an old memory. Maybe, Maybe at one point, Christ was there, he was at the center, but it just you just kind of came out of relationship. And my hope is that it rekindles those memories and that connection to food and let the connection to food be the connection to a sacrifice made on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you desire us to remember. You desire us to remember your promises and your covenant. But God, we also thank you because you call us to live a life you've created us to live. We thank you that, that you, you had the plan of redemption for your people. God, we thank you for leading your people out of Egypt and out of oppression and out of bondage and slavery. And Father, we thank you that even in those moments as you were given the instructions on how to leave the oppression and bondage of Egypt, you knew in the front of your mind what your plan of redemption was through the cross. And so we thank you and we we honor, uh, we, we hope we honor a tradition and a memory that God, we hope most of all we honor and look to Jesus for what he has done for us. We honor him for the cross, for being the sacrificial lamb, for being the perfect spotless lamb, for giving his life for us. So Father, I ask that this morning that we have new memories surrounding food. We have new memories surrounding freedom that you have paid for. And we have new memories from the oppressive life that we're born into and we're held under in the sinful nature. And God, through your body, the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood that is poured out, we can taste freedom. We can live life that is truly life and we can be free. And we love you so much. Father, I pray that if anyone in this room is, this is, this is their first time where this is so significant. God, I just pray that you create those memories. Father, for some, this may be the first time in a long time where as we share in this communion, in this body and the blood, 
that it brings back so many memories. Father, some of those memories may be good and some of them may be hurtful, but I ask you to give peace. Just like a, a wayward child that's been away from the table for a while and it's nothing but welcome, I just ask that you wrap your arms around it and welcome us to the table. We love you so much. We thank you for the symbolism, but God, most of all, we thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus by which we are saved. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Our ushers are going to hand out the elements here. I would just ask that you hold those elements so that we can take those together. You do not have to be a member of, of the creek to take communion. We just ask that, that you respect this as kind of family time. That if you have not put your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that's what this means. And, and it can be something empty for you, for you, but for us as family, this means everything. And so we ask that you just... You honor that, and we do this as a family. was drawing near and that the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And as he 
sent his disciples on to make the Passover arrangements for the meal that they would share together in the upper room. I'm sure for them it seemed like a yearly tradition of another year, another Passover. But Jesus knew that this Passover would be different. He knew that the time and the fulfillment had come for the Son of God, the perfect Lamb, to walk the hill of Calvary, to take on the sin and the shame of the world, and for his body to be broken and bruised so that we can have life, we can have health. And as he broke the bread that night, sitting with those closest to him, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And as his disciples hear something new, not knowing yet fully what was coming, we sit with this broken body in our hands, looking back to what Jesus did for us look back and we see and we understand that when we eat of this bread, we remember his body that was broken for us. We remember his body that he freely gave for us. So as we take this bread, remember that his body was given for us. lifted the cup again I'm sure tradition seemed to, to take over but Jesus is saying this is a new covenant no longer will we look to the blood of animals for sacrifice and atonement but the blood of the lamb the perfect spotless lamb and knowing that just a few short hours that his blood would be shed on a cross so that as we submit into that covenant, that promise that that blood covers us and God looks upon us and sees the blood of Jesus and he says, that is my people. And so may we share this drink together and be reminded of the freedom through the blood and the forgiveness of sin through the blood. Father, we just come before you and we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves because you have paid it all. You have done everything for us. Father, as we leave here today, I just pray that not just when this, this drink or this bread touches our lips and touches our tongue and we taste it. I just pray that it's not just a remembrance here, but every moment in life we glorify you. We remember the goodness of you, the goodness of your sacrifice, the goodness of your mercy. We love you so much. In Jesus' name.